Parkview Church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Since this is my last sermon as a staff pastor here at Parkview Church, reflecting on six years of ministry, there are specific people I want to honor and give thanks to the Lord for. First, my heart is glad and thankful to our lovely Lord Jesus Christ. And the unspeakable privilege it is to be called into gospel ministry to proclaim the unsearchable riches of his grace. It has been so sweet that he's planted me here in my first calling to pastoral ministry, and I'm just very thankful for that. I resonate so deeply with Charles Spurgeon's last words as he finished his ministry. He said, "Is heaven to serve Jesus. These past years that I have served him, blessed be his name, I have had nothing but love from him. And I affirm that. The Lord Jesus loved me, and one token of his love has been him putting me here in this congregation. I'm so thankful to the Lord. Second, my heart is thankful to the Lord for my wife, Claire, who is my best encourager, most faithful friend, and just very thankful for her and all that she has done for me in ministry here. Third, my heart is thankful for the elders and all that they've done for this congregation. Parkview has endured very difficult times for the past six years. And 1 Thessalonians 5.13, I highly esteem the elders in love because of their work here and so thankful for them. Fourth, my heart is thankful for the staff with whom I've had the honor of serving alongside. And Philippians 1, Paul says this, I feel this, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace for God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so thankful for staff. And then finally, my heart is thankful for you all, Parkview members. Paul says in Philippians 4, these words summarize my heart for you all. He says, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And so just want to say thank you so much, and I love you. And now let's turn to James 2. And I do pray that this is kind of my final labor of love for your hearts. I pray last time, as I do every sermon, that uh, through this, that your hearts might be drawn to Christ. And James 2 tells us, brothers and sisters, that faith, apart from works, is dead. And I, ever, I wonder if you've ever thought about why God placed James 2 in your Bible. He placed James 2 in your Bible because, well, no one here joined the varsity basketball squad of your high school to not play basketball. Meaning, through James 2, we are saved and rescued from the horrible misery. How miserable, how boring and suffocating to waste our lives in a lazy non-consequential faith that does nothing, means nothing, contributes nothing to the church of Jesus, and changes nothing in this broken world for the glory of Christ. James 2, Jesus wants to shock us awake and lift us into a new reality with God and living for Christ None of us became Christians, so to speak, to punch a ticket and sit on the sidelines 
or in the stands at Kinnick as we observe all the thrill and fun happening on the field. When you became a Christian, you became a Christian because you wanted to live for Christ. You wanted your life to count for the glory of Jesus, for your life to send ripple effects through generations to come in your friendships, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your church. That's why we become Christians because we were built to love God. We're built to to love Jesus, to live for Jesus. So a faith apart from that life of working for Christ, of doing something for the Lord Jesus, makes no sense. It's not real Christianity at all. It's dead and inconsequential. Charles Spurgeon says it like this, if you love Christ, you cannot help but serve him. If you believe in Jesus, there's such power in Jesus, there's such power in who you believe, such power in his grace, which comes through believing that you must serve Christ. I think of a compass. The compass is always, the needle of a compass is always going to be pulling north, pointing north. Why? Because of the sheer magnetism of that magnetic pull. And that's what we have in Christ. Christians are, are always going to be pointing towards, pulling towards works because, because of faith in Christ. Christ himself is so powerful and so magnificent and so worthy of our lives. He pulls that out of us. That's what he's done. He's put his Holy Spirit in us. You know, if we, if we look at our lives and there's no works, it's because we've missed, the, we've missed Jesus because he's a living Savior. And if, he's, if you by faith are trusting in a living Savior, then you're going to have a living life, a living faith to produce works that honor him. And so we're going to learn this together in, in a new way, I hope, I pray, through James 2. So I'll read the passage aloud and let's listen all to God's word as he speaks to us. Verse 14 of James 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without actually giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But then someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up, offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see... That a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we first remember, again, our dear friends, the DeWards. We're praying now for... Mike and Heather, just pray uh, for strengthening of them and comfort and help and rest in this time. Pray for Thatcher, continued healing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, thank you. 
for sparing his life. Wow. Thank you. Father, please uh, help that family. We, just, we know that you are our shepherd, and so we pray that you would lead them into uh, green pastures and still waters of peace and strength and solace in this time. Help them. Lord, now as we turn to your word, we pray that, we, uh, that I would come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I pray that we as a congregation would listen intently to your word, that our hearts would be, uh, by the Holy Spirit, that our hearts would be drawn to faith in Christ and from real living faith to work, works of love for Christ. Help us, Lord. Clarify these things in our mind, ignite our hearts by faith, and then empower our hands to do the work of love. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So there's a basic principle throughout all of our lives, and the principle is this. If you trust someone, you will work hard for that person. That's the principle. It's pretty simple. I mean, just think of it. If you're a child who trusts your parent, you're going to work hard to please your parent. Not perfectly, but the trajectory of your life is going to be overall, you want to work hard to do what's right and honor your parents. If you're a husband who trusts your wife, you're going to work hard to honor, cherish, love, serve, do what you can to support your wife. You're going to work hard at that. If you're an employee that trusts your boss, I see this here at Parkview, the first year of Mark's work here. If we trust the boss, you're going to work hard. You want to fulfill that boss's vision. You want to do excellent work. Maybe put in an extra few hours every week just so that the, the job can be done well and to work hard. If you find the person so magnetic, so trustworthy, it does something in you that ignites and pulls out, draws out work, working hard, excellence. Trust and action, faith and work, they're tied together. They're tied together, inseparably tied together. So James 2 then comes as smelling salts to our apathetic Christianity. I mean, here's James writing to a group of Christians claiming faith but they look at the tree of their lives and there ain't no fruit. There's no fruit. And so verse 26, James is saying, there's a, there's a way that you can have a faith without works, but it's ultimately dead faith. It's not real faith. It doesn't save. Verse 14, the question is, it's really the question over the whole passage, can that faith save? Can that faith, that being a faith without works, is that true saving faith? Is that authentic Christian life? Well, the answer is no. I mean, we can all stand before God's judgment seat awaiting that final verdict over our lives of either eternal salvation in God's blessed presence forever or eternal condemnation in God's judgment forever. And James 2 says, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that if we have faith that checks all the right boxes of belief but doesn't actually change how we behave and how we live in our everyday lives, we can't deceive ourselves thinking that's going to be acceptable to the Lord and saving faith. So Parkview, if you trust in Jesus, you will demonstrate that trust, that faith through your works of love for Jesus and for others. It's very simple. The compass needle always points north because of the power of the magnetism. Christ draws out of us. If we truly know Christ and have faith in Christ, there will be works because that's who Jesus is. 
That's how powerful he is. So I'm going to frame this sermon in two parts. Part one is looking at the text, just understanding this text. One of the difficulties of this text is there's a theological conundrum or what seems to be an apparent theological, theological disagreement between James and Paul. Verse 24, a uh, person justified by works, not by faith alone, James says. That should be a bit confusing to us if we're familiar with Paul, who says in his letters, a person is justified by faith apart from works. So is there then in the Bible a fundamental disagreement about what the gospel is? That's, that's important. So we just have to look at the text and understand it. Let's just figure it out together, okay? Explanation, part one. Part two then is application. Live the text. Look at the text, live the text. So part one, let's look, at, let's look at the text together. Let's look at some of the key verses here uh, that will give us the basic understanding. If you read this once or twice at a coffee shop with a friend, it's not too difficult to at least get the main point of what James is saying. Understanding it might be a little difficult, but at least understanding the main point, right? Verse 14, there's a question. Can that sort of faith save him? If someone says, I have faith, and not by works, then in verse 18, the same kind of imaginary scenario happens again, where someone says, there's a, you know, I have faith, you have works. So James is asking, can that sort of faith save that person? And again, that is a very important word, because we're talking about a certain sort of faith, and there's a misunderstanding. Faith in Jesus, but not one that results in a changed life of works of love. Can that faith save then in verse 18, James clarifies and he says, I will show you my faith, this being the true faith, the real faith. How? By my works. True faith is demonstrated by works of love. Then the crucial statements are found in verse 17 and verse 26. Verse 17, James says, so faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Then he restates it to a summary conclusion, verse 26, where he says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So, very clearly, James is saying, true faith in Christ is demonstrated, shown to be real. The younger people would say, seen to be legit. It's legit by the works. That's how you know it's legit. How do you know it's legit, your faith? Works. Trusting Jesus, Parkview, leads to working for Jesus. The compass needle always will point north. So now James gives four examples in this passage of this very principle, okay? Verse 15 and 16, example number one, it's negative. There's a brother and sister, brother or sister, poorly clothed. They need food. They need daily nourishment and shelter. The Christian stops by and says, hey, be warm, be fed. They say, this Christian Verse 14, we say, has faith. I have faith. But then here's a needy brother or sister who just needs basic help, and they do nothing. No works. James is saying, that's dead faith. There's no wholeness there. There's no integration. Because you're saying one thing, be warm, be fed. But then you're doing, your behavior is split. It's disconnected from what you are saying. Then verse 19, the second example, another negative one, right? A person states, and here's James, by the way, describing what this problematic sort of faith. He's writing to these Christians, and he's discerned. Here's the problem, verse 19. It's a faith that says, I believe God is one. And James says, you do well, good job. But even the demons have right theology about God. They believe. 
But do they love God? Do they worship God? Do they enjoy God? Do they follow God? No, they shudder. This is really sobering, Parkview, because what the Bible is saying, what James is saying, what God is declaring to us from his word is that there's, there's a sort of faith or belief where you can check all the right doctrinal boxes. I mean, the, uh, God is one. That's like the heart of the heart of good theology of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. I mean, so that's the heart of things they're supposed to proclaim and believe. Good theology, you can check all the right boxes and it still be a demonic form of living your life, just like the demons. So the problem is an intellectual faith that doesn't lead to practical works, belief without any behavior change. That's example two. But then example three of this principle, Abraham, it's the longest, in a sense, most significant example. Abraham is justified by works as he offers up Isaac on the altar. In verse 22 and 24, you will notice the first two words in both verses. Verse 22, it says, you see. Verse 24, you see. There's evidence. This is clear to observe, right? That a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And then James finishes with the fourth example, Rahab, verse 25. Add, just like Abraham, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them on their way. And then he concludes, faith without works is dead. So the repeated emphasis in this text is this, as we look at it. True faith results in works. Trusting Jesus leads to working for Jesus. Again, the compass arrow always points north because of the magnetism of Christ. You will produce works if you have faith a, re- a living faith in a living Savior, it will produce works. Now let's stop here and let's address the biblical elephant in the room, which is, does James fundamentally disagree with Paul about the core of the gospel? Maybe you're newer to the Bible and you're like, what are you talking about? What we're talking about is this. In the Apostle Paul wrote many letters to different churches and several times in those letters, He explains Galatians 2 and Romans 3 being the most significant letters, uh, sections of, of his letters, where he says this phrase, a person is justified by faith alone in Jesus and not by works. That's what it says. Paul says that, Galatians 2, Romans 3. Then James here in chapter 2, what is he saying? A person, verse 24, is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's confusing, doesn't it? At first glance, is the Bible inconsistent? That would, be, that would be a very bad thing if the Bible was confused on what the gospel is and what the Christian life is about. Is there a fundamental inconsistency here? Well, let's just think about Paul for a moment. If you were to read the, the letter of Galatians, Paul says in Galatians 2, I've said it before, he states, a person is justified by faith in Christ apart from works. Okay. But then later, in Galatians 5, verse 6, Paul says this. Listen very closely. Galatians 5, verse 6, Paul says, What matters most in Christ Jesus is only faith working through love. Faith working through love. Faith in Christ results in works of love. Who does that sound like? Sounds like James, doesn't it? So very simply, in summary, Paul and James are, are speaking to two different spiritual problems. 
James is speaking to what we now uh, today call nominal faith. By name only, nominal, by name only. A faith that intellectually checks the boxes but actually doesn't transform the heart and lead to new life. Paul's speaking to what we would call legalism. Someone who thinks, if I do enough good things and if I'm a good enough person, God will accept me because of my goodness. So for Paul, justification, because they're both using the same words but with slightly different meanings because of their context. That's why context, when reading the Bible, is so important. Paul, in his context, justification means declaration. A declaration of being right with God through faith in Jesus. For James, justification means demonstration. You are right with God through faith in Jesus, expressed and evidenced by your works. So James and Paul wholeheartedly agree that salvation is by grace alone through what Jesus has done alone that you receive by faith alone. But as the theologians throughout history have been saying is that that faith is never alone, meaning that faith comes with it a new life in Christ where we have the Holy Spirit empowering us for new works, living for Jesus in obedience. If you want to know more about this, a, th a theologian named Tom Schreiner, Schreiner, S-C-H-R-E-I-N-E-R. -E -E he's a great theologian. He's, he's one of the leading scholars on this particular issue, especially. You can just Google Tom Schreiner, Faith Works, James Paul, and you'll find articles if you want to go deeper. But that's all the time we have for that. But I want us to understand, again, why is this important? It's because of this. We have to understand that we're declared right with God only through Jesus, what Jesus has done, not what we do, not our works. But if we have faith in Jesus and we are declared right, that will be demonstrated in a new life. The compass arrow always points north. That's what James 2, 14 to 26 is all about. That's what it's talking about. Okay? Got this illustration from Tom Schreiner. This is the last thing I'll say and then we'll move on to living the text. If this room was on fire and it was about to blow up in one minute and I run in, ran into this room through those doors and I said, hey, you sitting here, leave now. You can be saved, but you've got to get up and go. And if you sat there and you'd say, yes, I affirm what you have said. That is right. You are right, Wade. This is about to blow up and I trust what you're saying. Thank you. But you didn't do anything. That's why James uses words like, that's useless. That's no good faith. In fact, verse 26, that faith will leave you dead, won't it? The building will blow up and you'll still be inside of it. But if you hear the good news, okay, I can be saved. Yes, the building is on fire. Check, I affirm that. I can be saved by leaving. Yes, I believe that. Thank you so much. And you got up and left. Well, then we'd know that your faith actually was real because you did something. That's what James 2, 14 to 26 is talking about. Trusting in Jesus leads to living for Jesus. The compass is always pointing north. So faith in the magnetism of Christ, it will always lead to good works in the Christian. So we looked at the text. Now let's think together about living this text. What does it look like for us as a whole church, forming whole disciples as we live out this text here in this time and place? I want to think about our witness to a watching world. 
I think it's pretty clear. I think we'd all agree our society, especially the younger generation that's leaving the church in droves right now, they want to see something authentic and real. And maybe we would have footnotes to, oh, yeah, but, you know, they misunderstand this, they misunderstand that. Okay. All right. But don't you think the culture around us, the society around us, that's not in church, that doesn't have our faith in Christ, don't you think they're tired and exhausted of seeing the news updates of yet another pastor failing morally, of yet another Christian church institution that has been corrupted by power, of yet another parent who claims faith in Jesus but doesn't live it out in their homes, of another friend who, you know, the list goes on, you know what I'm talking about. What the people around us are looking for is reality. I mean, think about what the Apostle John says in 1 John 4. He makes this amazing statement. He says, no one has seen God. Wow. Then he says, but God is revealed through how we love one another. Reality. The world around us, one of the greatest forms of witness to them is a real faith in Jesus that's leading to real works of love and kindness and holiness and purity of heart and justice to those who are in need. Part of you, the greatest danger and threat to this church in the coming years is not secular culture. It's not the sexual insanity of our society around us or the liberal agenda or the conservative agenda or whatever it is, however you vote, okay? Uh, it's not whatever problem we think that's outside of the church that's ultimately going to destroy faith in Christ. Now, hear me, those things are issues. We need to think deeply about those. And as Christians, we need to have Christian minds to engage those problems. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the greatest danger, according to James 2, is that there can be churches that are dead, that they have good theology. They're passing the exam theologically, but there's no life and vibrancy and devotion to the Lord Jesus and love for neighbor. That's a tragedy. And that sort of thing is such an anti-gospel witness. But to be a church in the coming years, that is falling more love, in love with Christ. That's more authentic in our love and sincere in devotion to serve one another. That's raising up the next generation of young people to understand and know Christ and to love Christ. That our home lives, how, however much imperfection is in our home life, but that the trajectory of our home life is Jesus and praying and asking for the mercy of Jesus and moms and dads humbling repenting when they have done wrong and showing repentance and faith in Jesus in everyday life. Friends whose primary goal for their friends is not just to have a good time but to further grow them spiritually. Those sorts of things. That type of witness is undeniable. It's undeniable. It's beautiful. And our world will be drawn to Christ through it. That is why faith and works is so important. That's why godly character. I mean, could you imagine if Christians just in America would choose tomorrow, Monday morning, to wake up and live with basic Christian integrity? The amount of amazing influence that would have on our society. Because we all know, brothers and sisters, 
how the hypocrisy and the two-facedness is such a damage to the glory of Christ. Because faith without works is dead. But think about then what that would look like. You might ask, okay, give me some practical help here, Wade. Well, actually, James will give you the practical help. I mean, think about the examples that he gives. He gives four, we'll look at three. Flip the negative one to positive, the works of basic mercy, right? A brother or sister is in need, and another Christian walks up and provides the need. Someone has need in your life. Just think about this week, just this week, maybe the next two weeks. Think for a moment. Is there someone in your life that has a burden? Maybe it is truly a financial burden, and you can help them. Or they need, literally, they need T-shirt, shorts, and shoes. And you can help them with that. Amazing. But maybe someone is so burdened mentally or spiritually, there's just some deep need in their life. Who's that person? What can you do this week in response to Jesus to relieve that burden in that person's life? Faith works. Trusting Jesus leads to working for Jesus. Or Abraham, verses 21 to 24. Here we see the works of devotion to God above all else. For, for Abraham, the Lord was his supreme treasure, so he was able to do any sacrifice the Lord called him to because he knew the Lord. So how can we in our personal lives then increase in our faith, in our devotion, in our treasuring, in valuing the Lord above everything else so that when he calls us to the sacrifices that you and I will face in our life, that we step forward in obedience because we love him. Think about our prayer lives. How do we nurture faith and devotion to the Lord? Well, the two main ways is oxygen intake and then breathing out. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in the word of God. Breathe out in prayer. That's how you grow in faith in the Lord. So our prayer lives, our time alone in the word as we're driving in the car, you listen to the podcast or whatever it is when you have time with the Lord in the word, capitalize on that time. Let's not forsake, let's not forsake cultivating that secret place with the Lord where we're growing in our devotion to him. Because that is what, when the sacrifices are called for in the Christian life, that's what drives a sacrifice, just like Abraham, devotion to the Lord. Third, Rahab. What is Rahab doing? There's people who are seeking shelter. She provides it. People in danger of death. She protects them. In some sense, what Rahab's doing is works of hospitality. Works of hospitality, of welcome. I mean, I think of this past month or two months, I know of people here at Parkview who've opened their homes to friends that don't love Christ, don't believe in Christ, and just inviting multiple friends over. I think one person hit the 70-person marker of people in their house in, in one time. I'm like, that's okay. Setting records there, all right? Maybe you can't invite 70 people over to your house at one time. And maybe it's not your house, but maybe it's a coworker for lunch. I don't know who needs welcome and an invitation in your life to go deeper into knowing Jesus or deeper into this community, but that's a work of love. Hospitality, welcome, inviting strangers in more deeply into fellowship with the Lord and his people. Guys, a Christian life is impossible, right? It takes the resurrection of the Son of God and the Holy Spirit to empower us to live the Christian life, okay? It's not easy to be a Christian, but at least it's simple. 
Don't you love that? These are simple things. I mean, each of us probably could do these things in the next two months, couldn't we? Look at someone who has a need and relieve and help and support that need. Uh, We can grow in our devotion to God above all else, and we can show hospitality in some way to people in our lives, can't we? Now, it's going to take the strength and help of the Holy Spirit to do it, but at least it's not confusing. At least we can walk out of church today knowing how we can express our faith in Jesus Christ. Don't you love that? I mean, that's good news. Guys, if you trust Christ, you'll work for Christ. You'll live for Christ. I mean, just think about the examples that he gives. Mercy to people with burdens, devotion to a supremely worthy God, welcoming people, protecting them. How could we live such a life? Well, just think about how it's possible to live that. We show mercy because we know and trust a God of mercy. We are devoted and have radical devotion and faith to the Lord because like Abraham, we've seen the Lord over and over and over again give promises that he's been faithful to keep. Think about all the promises the Lord has been faithful to keep. Isn't he trustworthy? Isn't he worth our deepest devotion? Think of Rahab. Rahab, there is someone who isn't an Israelite. She isn't part of God's Old Testament, Old Covenant people. But he hears that they're coming and she's on Jericho and she's like, I've heard of this God. And it sounds like he can conquer enemies, but also she knows, she must know, that he welcomes strangers into his family. He's a God of hospitality. So then what does she do? She sees strangers needing help and protection and and shelter, and she gives it to them by faith, trusting the God who has shown himself to be faithful. She then works. You see, the principle is clear. It is the magnetic power of a trustworthy Lord that compels works of love for that Lord. Think of it, brothers and sisters. More than Abraham, more than Rahab, how much more should we have trust and faith in a Lord who has shown how faithful he is by giving us his own dear son, Jesus Christ, to be crucified on a cross. Talk about faith and works. Jesus trusting his father, the deepest level of his heart to the point of going to a cross to demonstrate the greatest work of love in the universe, bearing your sin and my sin and our judgment on that tree, all out of love. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love for us in giving us Christ. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. Think of a tree right here. If there's an apple tree and we look and it's not bearing apples, you and I, we don't keep going to the ends of the branches and wondering, well, when are the apples going to come out? We'd go to the root and we'd go try to nourish the root with water and sustenance. So for us to do the works of love, we go back to the root of faith. Think about Jesus. Go back to Christ. Behold Jesus all over again. Think of Jesus on the cross for you and let that ignite faith. Look at Jesus 
in faith in the Father, working out love for you in his death. And the more you behold Christ, the more you see Christ, that, that beholding Jesus and trusting Jesus and faith in that Jesus, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is how works happen in your life. So let's come back to Christ. Friends, I've loved being your pastor. And the thing I've loved most is telling you how wonderful and sweet it is to trust in Jesus. As the great hymn says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus says the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how we trust him. How we've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Father, we do pray that you would give us that grace to trust in Jesus. And by trusting by faith in Jesus, you would produce the works of love. We, by faith, trust in Jesus, the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And therefore, we express that faith through love as a church. Help us now by your Holy Spirit to truly believe that. Amen.